is a reading from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you, you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear, and come to me, listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Wayne. Let's take a moment just to pray and to be silent, to let what we've just read sink into our hearts before we provide a bit of reflection on it. Father, thank you for your word that we've just read. We just ask that uh, what we have heard with our ears would now begin to sink into our hearts as we begin to meditate on your word. This truth, Lord, that your word will not return void. It, it will not fail to accomplish the purpose that it has. And Father, as we sit with this, these words um, of, the, of the ancient prophet, uh, the words you spoke through him so many decades, so many centuries, so many millennia ago, uh, Lord, that you would Allow us to hear your voice personally to us today, not an ancient voice, but a real, a living, 
a current voice, uh, the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us today through the scriptures. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You doing well? Good. <laughs> so we've been in the book of Isaiah for uh, a quite a few weeks, since the beginning of June or early June, and um, I've essentially been looking at a section or, or, or one chapter from one of the sections each time. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of a, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of context here. There's, there's, there's a number of sections in Isaiah, two main parts, um, but sort of three within each. So the next slide um, shows kind of a bit of a breakdown. You've got first Isaiah, and I, I, I did a, uh, talked about this a couple of weeks back or about a month back these first three chapters about judgment and hope and for the Jerusalem and then for the nations. Um, and then when we get to second Isaiah, as it's sometimes called, the second part, um, there's another three. We start off with this announcement of hope. Um, these are the terms that are used by the Bible Project guys. Um, announcement of hope in the first nine chapters. Um, we had Andy speak a few weeks ago on 43, see I'm doing a new thing. Um, and then spoke about this uh, last week, this um, this, this battle with, with worshipping idols. And really this first section is about how God is the true king of history. God's the true God, as opposed to the idols we might worship in his place. So that's the, that's the hope announcement in those nine chapters. Then it comes to possibly the most significant section in relation to the rest of the Bible, because it's about the servant who fulfills God's mission. The servant is a term used for the, the Messiah, the Messianic king, who we know to be Jesus, and uh, we have cl clear um, uh, passages about the gospel, really significant, well-known passages like 53, chapter 53, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed, many of you may have heard that. So that's in the, the second last section. And then finally, this part, these last 11 chapters, the servants will inherit God's kingdom. It's this vision Isaiah gives of the kingdom of God and the new creation and this vision that God will bring together this global family that will be in eternity the new creation with him. Next Sunday, uh, Teresa is going to look at a passage from there and wrap us up in the book of Isaiah. Today, where we are is, is right, if we, sorry, go back one, where we are is right here, at the end of this section in chapter 55. Um, and, and this chapter grip, grips me the most of the, whole, the seven chapters in this part. Um, chapters 54 and 55 basically outline two possible responses um, to the servant, or the, the Messiah, the one who's called the servant in this book. Um, the two responses are basically the wicked, who, next slide, who will, who will respond by turning away from him, and then the servants, which is what we're called, those who would respond to the servant with humility and with repentance. And so there's this choice, we walk away in pride or we come to him in humility. However, even though there is this, this choice, and this is, this is the two responses we can have, the gospel is far more, I think, than just a choice. And this is what I think this, this passage that we've just read really, really brings out. If God just presents us with a choice between accepting him or rejecting him, that is still indeed fantastic 
it means we have the choice to not be lost forever. There's an opportunity for repentance to be back in the presence of God. Uh, we, can, we can choose. With the fact that we can choose to turn back to God if we have wandered is indeed amazing. And I remember studying Isaiah 53 with my life group a couple of weeks ago. It just happened to be the passage we were in. And um, it talks about wandering away like sheep as kind of a analogy or, or a metaphor for being in sin, being far from God, being unworthy to, to be before a holy God. And this is the beautiful, beautiful good news that Jesus has become like a sheep. As we've wandered away like sheep, he's become like the sheep being led to the slaughter, being willing, willingly taking upon himself our sin. That's the good news. What, just to, to dwell there for a minute on this, this gospel, which is just a word for the good news. What, why is this? Why did God, Jesus need to take this? It's because God is holy. He is holy. He is perfect. He is without blemish. And, and unholy people need a bridge back over to God, over which we, we become holy again so we can be in His presence, because unholiness cannot be with holiness. Imagine walking over a bridge then. Imagine walking over a bridge towards a royal wedding, something like that. And um, to, as you walk towards this wedding, over this bridge, you're not, you know you're not going to be allowed in because you're filthy, you're dirty, your clothes are a mess, you're, you're just not dressed and clean for that wedding. But as you walk over that bridge, Jesus comes towards you and he says, here, take my clothes, take my suit, my, my, um, and he cleans you up real quick and, and he goes, okay, now you're ready to go. And he walks away with the muck and grime that you had on you um, while you go towards this wedding feast clean. You walk towards the celebration, the abundance, all cleaned up. That's the gospel. He took our place because we were in a state that wasn't worthy to be in God's presence. We weren't worthy, but he makes us worthy. That is the beautiful, beautiful good news of the gospel. But I think it's actually also, it's more than just a choice. It's more than just a choice offered to us to turn and walk the other way or to walk towards God and accept. This is what struck me in chapter 55. The gospel is also an invitation. And that's more than just a choice. This chapter begins with something very, very powerful. And Wayne read it well. But it's easy to miss. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just for, just for a few seconds, and imagine these four words, four, I'm just going to say four words from the beginning of this chapter, and as you close your eyes, just imagine God himself speaking these words to you. Okay, eyes closed. These are the four words. Come. Second word. Come. Come. Okay, you can open your eyes. Four times, he says, come, come. Why is that so significant? You might go, well, okay, it's just, just the word come. What? He says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, come eat and drink, come have wine and milk. I think that is the difference between someone saying to you, look, you can have the steak sandwich or the palmy. doesn't bother me, they're the same price. What do you want? That's a choice. An invitation is your mum calling you up and saying, hey, I'm making a roast Sunday night. I'm going to make my famous apple pie afterwards. Would love you to come. Bring the kids. You don't have to bring anything. We'd just love you to be there. That is an invitation. 
Last night, my mum messaged me, not for roast and apple pie, but she was making homemade brioche rolls and pulled pork. And I was like, oh, it's been a long day. It was unfortunately a long drive, so we didn't go. But um, I'm kind of regretting that now, actually. Um, That's an invitation, different to just a choice. The choice is amazing that we have to come to Jesus, but an invitation, a heartfelt invitation, that is the good news also. I think it's, it's easy to get the impression sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, that God's kind of saying, look, you can turn away from me, you can do your own thing, and it won't turn out well for you, or you can turn to me uh, and receive pardon and you'll be all right. It's your choice. Almost that God's a little bit blasé about it, but that is not how God approaches this. God is passionately inviting us to come to him inviting us it's an invitation and and i just felt like some people today needed to be reminded of that that it's not just uh look you can do this and you do that but look come on make your choice it's an invitation god is longing for you and i to come to him come drink come eat the gospel doesn't actually start with you seeking out god and then him responding in mercy The gospel doesn't start that way. The gospel starts, the good news story starts with God inviting you and I, with God saying, come into his presence, and then we respond. Jesus told a story about a wedding banquet, kind of like what I was mentioning before, uh, where a king put on for his son and the get uh, 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 a wedding on for his son, and the guests he invited at first rejected the invitation. They said, no, we don't want to come. And so they opened the invitation up to everyone else. You may remember the story. This is very much what the book of Isaiah is really all about, that there will be a globe, uh, uh, an invitation. A go- God's mission is actually to reach the whole world and to establish a global family, not just one group or one nationality or one tribe, but invite all in eventually. The end of Jesus' story about this royal wedding where all become invited highlights that we still must be worthy, we still must be clean and and dressed appropriately to enter the wedding feast. And this is what Jesus does for us as we respond to the invitation. If we come with repentance, he makes us clean, he forgives us, he washes us, he cleans us up so that we're worthy. But it begins with an invitation. That's where it starts, an invitation to the feast, uh, which is a picture of the new creation, eternity with God. I want to just share a couple of thoughts this morning on the rest of this chapter and, uh, and, and what it might be saying, and then we're going to just consider three simple ways that God might be inviting us, what his invitation to us might be today. So first, this chapter 55, it starts, Come all who are thirsty, come buy and eat, come buy wine, buy milk, but without cost, it says, without cost. Uh, the invitation is to be satisfied, to come and drink what we'll set to, to eat, but not in the kind of, thank goodness I got my money's worth and now I'm satisfied kind of way. He says, come buy the food, but without cost. It's, it's freely given. I don't know about you, but I'm really stingy with my money when I go out to eat. Um, Karen, we usually use a voucher if we go out to eat, an entertainment book, something like that, because I just don't want to spend my week's earnings on a meal. Um, and that's sometimes how much, how much it can cost these days to eat out. But if we do on occasion eat an expensive dinner, um, usually my assessment of the quality of that meal will be very harsh. 
If I've paid a lot of money for it, I'm like, it better be good. On the other hand, I remember one time Kieran and I had a chance to go out and um, the place mucked up something with our order, and so they then gave me a free burger. I'm telling you, that was the best burger I've ever had in my life, man. It was free. Um, Now, that's... I don't want you to miss the point here. That's not a great illustration for like, oh, God's grace is free, therefore it's, it's good. That's not the point. My point is we don't have to weigh up how good God's offer of grace to us is because we had to pay something. It's not that we go, oh, well, I gave you my life, Jesus, so really this eternity thing better. No, no, no. The cost of salvation is very, very high, but Jesus has paid the price, not us. And, and the, even if we think about the cost of following Jesus to us, to give up your life, to give up your preferences, what, what you've earned, to give all of that up before him, it seems like a lot, but actually compared to Jesus' righteousness so we can have eternity with God, it's nothing. It, it, it is nothing in comparison. Eternity is not a reward or an exchange for what we can offer God. It's actually a gift. The gift comes first, and then we spend our lives thanking him for that gift in service. Furthermore, that which we do pay for does not satisfy. That which we do pay for does not satisfy. Let me find where I was again because my <laughs> I lost I lost my script. Uh, there we are. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Why spend money on what is not bread? What's not going to actually fulfill that hunger? Now, this is, got, of course, is all metaphoric. God, isn't, God doesn't have some kind of magical bread or some kind of magical water that satisfies where others don't. Um, but Jesus said what to his disciples? I have food that you know nothing of. And they were all like, huh, what's he, is he hiding some flatbread in his back pocket that he just kind of gets out when we're not looking? What's, what's going on? No, no, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He earlier quotes Deuteronomy saying, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see the same message as what Jesus said in Isaiah 55. Listen to me that you may live. His word. And, and it says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return with, uh, to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The issue here is this. As I was reflecting on this and going, okay, what what does this mean about uh, God and what he says to us in his invitation, nourishing us, satisfying us? Let me ask you this. How long does it take for bread to satisfy hunger? Or any food, really? Maybe 20 minutes? Like, you know, by the time it settles in and you feel full, it, it can maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on what kind of food it is. How long does it take for water to satisfy thirst? Like, even quicker, right? Almost instantaneous. How long does it take for wine to satisfy at the end of a long week? No, no, don't answer that. <laughs> How long does it take, on the other hand, for rain to nourish ground and seeds and grow a harvest? A lot longer. And so that's where that patient hope that I spoke about in week two becomes so essential. When we listen to God, he says, it's like food, listen that you may live. But the process is much slower sometimes. 
And so as we consider what God might be inviting us into this morning, where he's saying, come, eat, come, drink. Some of you may be feeling a bit unsure, like, no, you know what, I've tried coming to Jesus on that thing. I've tried just giving it over to him. It didn't satisfy. He didn't take, he didn't do what I, what I thought he was going to do. And, and maybe it seemed like it didn't make any difference in that struggle that you had, in that need that you had. I want to encourage you this morning to believe that his word to you, his invitation to you this morning is like rain that waters the ground. It will take time, but it will achieve what it's meant to achieve. It will. So with that being said, what kinds of invitation might God, might be off, might God have for us this morning? Um, there's, there's, I'm not going to cover everything that the Bible says about where Jesus says, come to us this morning, but here's a few things that I think are, are core for us. Um, just three things. The first is an invitation to be satisfied, as we've been talking about. Come and drink, come and eat. If you've uh, been chasing after this or that, um, whatever it might be, trying to fulfill a longing, kind of a th- trying to fulfill a thirst for something, a hunger for something inside, and just nothing seems to satisfy, Jesus' invitation to drink of the water of life that won't leave you thirsty ever again. That is the invitation. He spoke uh, about this to a Samaritan woman. You might remember this story uh, where she was collecting water at a well. She's an outcast. Pit. She's in the mid- there in the middle of the day because you know she, people like Jesus shouldn't really be speaking to her, but he comes and speaks to her about this living water that, that becomes in us a spring of water uh, welling up to eternal life. God himself, the spirit inside us, securing in us, securing in us life forever in the presence of God. This is what satisfies. This is the God. He is the one who satisfies, the only one who satisfies. And this offer of salvation, I think even when we've accepted it before, we're a child of God, we're in the family, we're a Christian already, we're now one of his. It doesn't mean that we still don't need it. It doesn't mean that we still don't need to come and be satisfied in God because we are being, the scriptures say, continually saved. We are being saved. We are more and more realizing that nothing else satisfies. We're having an ongoing revelation that he is the only one that satisfies. And some of you may just need to receive the spirit of God again this morning. You've been drinking salty water for a while. (laughs) Things that don't cut it. And, and he's willing to be poured out into your life again, to cleanse you, to fulfill you, to refresh you. A second invitation that I see in the scriptures is the invitation to extend the invitation, if that makes sense. Come and then tell others, come. Um, the last chapter of the Bible, the very last chapter, has similar words to Isaiah 55. The spirit and the bride say, come, and it goes on and says about, you know, the, um, the, the one who is thirsty, come and drink. And... Um, uh, my, my iPad is not liking me this morning. Uh, <laughs> um, one who is thirsty, come and drink. And, and then notice, though, that it says... Uh, I didn't actually put this scripture up, did I? Uh, okay, notice that it says this. The Spirit and the bride say come. The Spirit and the bride say come. Who's the bride? You and I, it's the church, the bride of Christ. And, and, and then it says, let the one who hears say, come. This is the invitation to join the family 
and its mission. When we join the family of God, when we're invited into the feast, into God's family, we by default also are invited into the mission that that family has. And it's very simple, the whole of the Christian message. Really, it's this, that God the Father wants his family back. And the, the, the mission of the family is to extend the family. And so we, we are invited to come and extend the invitation and be the ones who also invite Maybe that's where you're at today, that you're like, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm his child, you're safe, you're satisfied, you're not thirsty anymore because his spirit now dwells within you. But simultaneously, there's a dissatisfaction about the fact that others around you, people around you are missing out. And his invitation to you this morning might be to invite them, for you to invite them to that living water. Finally, maybe you've accepted this invitation and you're running to your people like the Samaritan woman who Jesus spoke of living water and then she runs back to her village and says, let me tell you about this man who knew everything about me that has ever happened. And you've been extending the invitation and you're, you, you are satisfied in him and you're sufficiently dissatisfied at those who don't know him so you're sharing the invitation to them and it's hard work. Anyone feel like that? It's not easy it's draining. It's, it's, it's full on. And the third invitation, therefore, is this, that Jesus invites us to place the weight on his shoulders. He says, come, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, that one that is easy and light. The invitation is to come and find rest and to be yoked to Jesus. That has nothing to do with egg yoke. It's the, the yoke between two, two animals that, that would share the load together. But really when it's Jesus, is it really sharing the load 50-50 when he's so much stronger than us and so much more stable than us? He's taking the burden off of us without really pushing us out of the picture altogether. And as a Christian, I find I need to respond to this invitation almost daily Jesus, take the wheel. No, 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 not Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the load. Because he doesn't say, look, here, let me, let me do it. You get out of the way. He says, let me be there with you every step of the way and let me carry the heavy stuff. When we seek to serve him in gratitude with a, with a desire that others would taste of the, life, the water of life also, it doesn't mean that it's all got to be on your shoulders, doesn't mean that it's all got to be on our shoulders. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Let me be yoked to you. Before we pray and go, okay, God, what is the invitation for me this morning? Maybe it's a bit of all three of those, uh, to, to come and be satisfied in him and him only, to come and extend the invitation and to come and rest when you're burdened by his work on your shoulders. I think it's important, before we pray on that, that we don't confuse invitation number one and invitation number three. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've been saying to Jesus, I, need, I just need this rest, Jesus. I need to hand my burden over to you. I need to share this load I'm carrying. But what you think is a heavy load and a burden from serving him is actually stuff you're trying to carry that, that doesn't satisfy, that's not from him in the first place. And I think it's important we don't confuse these two things sometimes and pray, Jesus, take the weight of this. And he's saying back to you, no, 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 I'm not going to take the weight. You need to just drop it all together. If it's not of him, it's not that he's going to take the weight with you. He's just going to say, let it go 
and come drink of me. Come be satisfied in me and me only. I've touched on many of these things in recent weeks. We've talked almost the whole series about idols, things that, idols that don't satisfy, false gods that don't give what they promised they would give. The relevant invitation when those things are in our life and on our shoulders is come you who are thirsty, drop everything and be satisfied only in me. On the other hand, if we've come to him in surrender, with humility, having embraced the mission, having devoted ourselves to extend the invitation to others. And because of this, because we're in his family and joining his mission, because of this we are weary, then the invitation from him is, be yoked to me. I'll carry the weight. I'll do this with you. And you won't have to bear the burden. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever the invitation is that God is placing in front of you today, and you probably know what it is. Our need is always the same. Our need is always the Spirit of God. And the most ancient and powerful prayer of the church is, Come Holy Spirit. The, the last, very last words of the Bible are, Come Lord Jesus. And so what do we do? We respond to his invitation to us with our invitation to him. He says to us, Come, drink. Come, those who are weary and burdened, and we say, come Holy Spirit. Father, that is our prayer this morning. I've spoken enough, Father. Our, our prayer this morning is simply this, come Holy Spirit. Satisfy where other things haven't satisfied. Come, Holy Spirit. Empower us to be on mission with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Take off of us the burden when it's yours to carry. Come, Holy Spirit.